0: I appreciate very much what Jody has done with the kids over the months and preparing them for this time on Sunday morning. And then, obviously, your family's having a tough day. And so uh, we're sorry that, that that's happening in your life, but we sure appreciate who you are and what you've done and, uh, for the kiddos, for sure. I actually have a couple of other uh, things to mention kind of along those lines. Um, like many of you know, of course, uh, Anne. By, and uh, Anne was recently married to Marshall. I say recently; it's been years now, but these time flies. Four years, thanks, Marian. And um, and I, I'm sad to say that Marshall passed away in the last few days. Uh, it was very unexpected. Uh, Anne didn't have any inkling that that anything was wrong. He was just sick for a short period. One morning, he went to the hospital. Uh, they did a surgery, and he died. Uh, during the surgery or or maybe before. I'm not sure of all the details. Uh, but we need to, to be thinking about uh, Ed, Marion, and Anne in Marshall's loss. Marshall was, uh, like, about four years ago, I would say, or so, he was baptized. And uh, just uh, a wonderful guy, great personality, um, you know, always happy, big smile on his face. And we're going to, you know, we're going to miss Marshall for sure. And then many of you know... Uh, Of course, the Bailey family, one of whom is Roy Bailey, who is the father of uh, Susan Roberts, who is the mother of Carl Roberts. And Carl and Helen aren't here this morning because Carl and Helen are are traveling to Roy Bailey's uh, funeral. Uh, Roy passed away here. Oh, they told me you weren't here. Oh, Carl is right there with his lovely wife, and they look very real to me. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) Somebody just told me, no, they're not here. They've already left to go to the funeral. Okay, thanks, thanks, Carl. I'm. I apologize. Um. Anyway, we we want to be thinking of the uh, of the Roberts family, and the ba- and the Bailey family, and loss of uh, of Carl's grandfather for sure. Let's pray about some things. Lord, we do pray uh, that you'd be with Anne, especially this morning in the loss of Marshall, and uh, although they in the long term of their lives weren't married for a long period of time. At the same time, I know they loved each other and uh, she's going to experience this loss with such hurt and uh, we pray that you would comfort her and all of that. Bless her family and give her peace. Father, we pray too for the Baileys and for the Roberts. We ask you would watch over them and bless them in, in the loss of Roy and comfort them. We're, we're so grateful for the example that that many people named Bailey have set uh, for the Churches of Christ in Western Canada. And we thank you for Roy and his example. Thank you for the legacy that he's left and now passes down to, to children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Uh, and I pray that you'd bless that legacy. And Father, even things like the loss of a, of a faithful companion, a, a canine friend, can hurt. And so I pray that you'd be with the Rubles today as well. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. I would love it if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19. And as you do that, let me just ask a question. Um, We're looking at neglected treasures. For those of you who are guests this morning, we've been going through a series and, and pulling things out of the Old Testament that we just don't normally talk much about. And this morning, the theme is the priesthood. And there's probably some good reasons why we don't talk so much about the priesthood, which we'll get to in a moment. But I want to draw a parallel between the notion of the priesthood and the notion of a couple of other things that we've already looked at. Like, for example, the Sabbath. Like, when I talk about the Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath, I think most of you would say, yeah, we don't keep the Sabbath. Or do we? What did we do with the Sabbath? Do you remember what we did with the Sabbath? Because I don't know that we just don't keep the Sabbath at all. There's something special about the Sabbath. It does impact us, and it does enter into our lives. How is that, church? Do you remember? Yeah, exactly. Kevin said, if you didn't hear him, we keep it all the time. And that's exactly how we talked about the Sabbath. It's a special event in the history of God's people for sure, but when you get into the New Covenant, the Sabbath is a day that we always keep in a sense. This moment is the Sabbath, but it's not because it's Sunday, because tomorrow at this same hour, the Sabbath will be there too. And the day after that, at that same hour, and for moments after that, and for days, and like all of our lives end up being lived out as a Sabbath. We talked about worship in the same way. Like we're here this morning on a Sunday morning worshiping together. We do this every week, twice most times. Not next week, though. They just come at 10. But normally we come and we worship twice on a Sunday. But is that really when we worship? Is Like does the Bible say make sure you worship on Sunday at 10 o'clock or at 8.50 and 11.10 or anything like that, church? Of course not. Very similarly to the notion of Sabbath, Worship becomes for us not an appointed moment, but every moment. All of our lives are lived out in some sense in worship of the Lord. And so when we talked about Sabbath and we talked about worship, we kind of talked about these as neglected treasures, but really the things that we participate in all the time. We may not worship exactly the way they did in the Old Testament. We may not keep the Sabbath exactly the way they did in the Old Testament. But certainly that is the case with us when it comes to worship. this kind of all the time carrying out of these religious acts. Sorry, I'm fumbling here because I don't have my, my clicker, and it's right back there. Um, so, Molly, move me forward, will you? There are some things that we want to do with priesthood this morning that are similar. And what I want to do first is just talk about what are the ways in which the priesthood kind of manifested itself. What is this all about? Thanks, Miles. Appreciate it. What is priesthood... How does it form, and and where does it come from? And So you look at Exodus chapter 19, and it says in verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, and and he says this because this all of a sudden with the Lord's presence becomes a holy mountain and a holy place. Go down and warn the people so that they don't force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish, because that's what would happen. You force your way to see the Lord in the midst of a holy encounter, and many of them, it says, are going to perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Now, what's interesting is that up until this point, there hadn't been any mention of priests. And there's no description right here of what the priesthood's all about. We're going to get that in a few chapters. But right here, even at this point, it's saying there is something holy about the Lord, so holy that one must be careful in approaching him. And therefore, there's a special kind of status of people who are set up in terms of approaching the Lord. Verse 23 says, Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. So it's set apart as holy, and that's really what the notion of holiness means, is to be set apart. Then it says, the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. And so Aaron himself is called into the presence of the Lord along with Moses, but it's a special kind of moment because um, Aaron has become at that point the priest. And in fact, the high priest of Israel allowed to come into the presence of the Lord. Well, we could read lots of passages about the priesthood this morning. We don't really have time to do all of that. So let me just tell you some things about the priesthood. I've gone through and and read pretty extensively about the priesthood and asked the question, what is this all about? What are some things that the priesthood actually does? Why did God form a priesthood? Because this is not something we're so familiar with. But in the Old Testament... It had a significant, significant place. So here are some things very quickly that the priesthood did in the Old Testament. First of all, the priesthood was a focal point for God's grace. It's interesting. They were not chosen because they were the smartest. They weren't chosen because they were the best looking. God didn't look at the tribe of Levi or Aaron's children and say, these are clearly the most holy people around. Instead, God looked at them and said, this is like the Calgary Church of Christ. These are just people before me. But then in his grace, he appoints them to a special role. And it's one of the first great examples of God's grace just being showered down upon a people that didn't deserve it. He gives the priesthood a grace, and this grace is, I choose you to be priests before me, even though they didn't specifically earn or deserve that particular title. Second thing, the priesthood represented a purified people before the Lord. And of course, not because they themselves were pure. John McMillan is here this morning. I see John sitting out there, love John, love his family, love his son Malcolm like my brother. We're friends. But John's not pure. He's just not. And if I called Malcolm on the phone right now and I said, Malcolm, what do you think of your dad's purity? Malcolm would probably talk for the next half hour about how John's not pure. I bet he would. It's just true. See, the fact that he's doubting it shows us what, church? Not so pure. So, <laughs> the Lord, however, purifies people. And in this case, he actually purifies the priesthood. And they become representatives of a purification that God does of people before they can ever come into his presence. And so Moses and Aaron didn't even deserve to come into the Lord's presence, as special as they were, but God purifies them, allows them to come into his presence, and they could worship him together. Thirdly, they represented the people as emissaries meeting with the Lord. Not everybody could go in front of the Lord, not only because they weren't all pure, but also because God wanted special ones who would act as emissaries, ones who would represent the people. So the priesthood played this special role, of coming and meeting with the Lord. They would meet him in the temple when they carried out their priestly service. Aaron, of course, would go to meet God at special places like the doorpost of the tabernacle. There were special meetings taking place, and it was the priesthood who were those qualified to meet specifically with God. Fourthly, or fifthly, or whatever this is, they were a conduit for forgiveness. Somebody tell me, like I'm filled with, we've got a church here filled with people who know their Old Testaments. How is it that forgiveness was dispensed through the priests? Okay, the priests would make the sacrifices. Because they were the purified ones, the ones chosen by God to make the sacrifices, the priests were the ones who made special sacrifices before the Lord, and those sacrifices were responsible for the forgiveness of the people. And then, what happened at least one day a year in terms of that special role? Church? Yeah, they go into the Holy of Holies, and somebody else said Ed, I think it was you. What would you say? Yeah, the Day of Atonement. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, because he was high priest, could go into the holiest of holies, make special sacrifices to God, and then the, the whole nation would have their sins forgiven because of that special sacrifice and entering into the God's presence of the priest. So the priest had these special roles, and, uh, and certainly forgiveness is a big one. Here's one that I don't know that you thought of too much, but there's good reason for us to think about it. It says, through the priesthood, decisions were made, including special inquiring before the Lord. And somebody tell me, because there'll be somebody here who knows, how did that happen? How was it that there were special inquiries made through the priesthood, and what were the means of those special inquiries being made? What do you think? You're so close, Kevin. The urim and the thummon, right? And where were the urim and the thummon? Where? On the ephod, which is the breastplate, which carried the jewels representing all the tribes of Israel. Quinn, could you crawl under there for me? And just poke around. Yeah, right right under there. And poke around and see if you can find anything. It's kind of maybe flat and laying on the ground. And if you can't find it either, then we're in trouble. (gasps) You found it. Come on out with that. Well done. But don't go away. I want you to just stand here in front of all these folks for a second. Look at this. What is that? You know what that is? It's the ephod. It's the breastplate that Carrie just mentioned. And what these are, are jewels. There are four rows, or four columns, I guess. No, three columns and four rows of jewels. And anyway, three times four is 12. I know that. And each one of these represents a tribe of the children of Israel. And then, also on the ephod, although we don't have it because we don't know what they would look like anyway, were the urim and the thummim. And they allowed God's people to make decisions by inquiring God with the Urim and Thummim. But it was through the priest, the high priest, thanks, way to go, bud, that that's what they did in order to make decisions. Later on, different points, the church even cast lots, decisions were made. But in the beginning, that was the priest's job through the Urim and the Thummim using the ephod and the breastplate. So the priests had that, also that responsibility for helping Israel to make important decisions. They were also protectors and preservers of the law and all the holy things that allowed for connection between God and his people. So they were the ones who went into the temple. They were the ones who offered the sacrifices. They were the ones who took, place, uh, took care of all of the blood. They were the ones who burned the incense. They were the ones who took care of the lamp and the lampstands and all those kind of things. That was the priestly responsibility. And on the surface, that looks like, oh, well, that's just a—it's just a kind of physical responsibility. But at, in actuality, it was a deeply spiritual exercise in which the priest would participate, and they loved it when they could could go and uh, worship the Lord and carry out their pri- priestly responsibilities. That, of course, happened by lot for them. They would cast lots and. People's names would come up, and, and eventually they would get to the different tribes and the different families and the clans, and they would have a chance as priests to go and, uh, and carry out their service before the Lord. And when they had a, that opportunity, they loved it. They, they worshipped the Lord with gladness and incredible exuberance because they had that privilege of carrying out worship to him. And then lastly here, they were also interpreters, communicators, and adjudicators of the law. Now, we've got at least one lawyer here. Ken? I'm going to put you on the spot. It's a tough question for a lawyer. What does it mean to adjudicate something? Ah, did you hear that? The man knows what he's talking about. He said, you listen. Not all lawyers do, but he said that lawyers would listen. He said, they think about this. They, and then they make a decision and render. Oftentimes there's a judgment rendered. If it happens to be a judge who is adjudicating a judgment. And so a a judge is going to make a decision, and as we know, when you look at Old Testament history and the law, a lot of times Israel had to sort out what their responsibilities were as far as the law, and the judges, the priests, would end up making decisions about what was right and wrong according to the law. Now all of that, it's a little bit cumbersome in some ways. Like, really, we're talking about the priesthood, this is a long time ago, what does this have to do with us? But I promise you it does. Because just like worship... Or just like the Sabbath, when we're talking about the priesthood, there is something about the priesthood that flows over into the New Testament. This is not actually just kind of forgotten stuff that has no merit or impact on our lives. We actually see the priesthood carried out in significant ways in the New Testament. There's at least two major ways. Let me show you what those are. First of all, Jesus himself is a priest. In fact, Scripture is very clear, and especially in the Book of Hebrews, that Jesus is the High Priest, and because He is, He has all kinds of responsibilities, which He carries out, of course, as the Son of God in wonderful ways. Brings us into the presence of God and allows us to be in a relationship with Him, and so we may think the New Testament's not about priesthood, but in fact. Right at the center of the New Testament message is the idea that Jesus himself is the priest. It's Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's Jesus who carries out the great sacrifice. Jesus, in fact, finalizes the whole system of sacrifice with his coming as the sacrifice himself. And so Jesus comes and allows worship to take place in its full and complete way. Um, If I was to quote something like Matthew 5.17, it says... I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And there's an exact kind of parallel between Jesus fulfilling the law and his role as priest, fulfilling the whole notion of priesthood. So when we think about who Jesus is, Jesus is the priest, the great high priest. If you're thinking to yourself, boy, I don't, are you sure, Kelly? Go read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews really focuses on the whole notion of Jesus as the great high priest. And you'll see that everywhere. So if I was going to sum all of that up about Jesus, I would say something like this. Jesus Christ is the representative between God and humankind, which was the role for the priest. In fact, he's the only fit representative between God and humankind. And therefore, he's the only true priest. That's who we worship. We worship the one who is ultimately the true priest of God, So that's one way that the priesthood definitely flows into the New Testament, just the idea that Jesus himself is the great high priest. But it's not the only way. Rather than the abolishment of the holy set-apart priesthood, the fact is that we are all made holy in Christ, set-apart for priesthood in him. And I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 gives a description of the church. It describes who we are. And it puts it in terms which are, because Peter was Jewish, and on this particular day and with this particular letter, he was sounding really Jewish. And so he writes as one who is reflecting upon the character of the church in light of it's Jewish background. So you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what, church? What does it say there? To be a holy priesthood. This is interesting. All of a sudden, we become, in the New Testament, a holy priesthood patterned after, at least in some ways, the Old Testament priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then I want you to skip down to verse 9. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, we talk all the time about how wonderful our church family is. It is a great blessing to be part of our church family. And, and one of the reasons is because there's just all these wonderful folks in it. Like, I look out there and I see all your smiling faces. I see those of you who are still awake and it's just Wonderful. But we are, on top of being a fellowship of people who loves each other and is having a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord, we are also a holy people, a royal priesthood chosen by God. We are not nothing. We're not trash. God has selected us and made us special before him as a holy royal people before him, symbolized by the term priesthood. So that we come before God as royal priests, not unlike the priests used to do when they came before him with all the special roles that they had. And God gave them special roles. So it wouldn't surprise me that God would give us special roles as his holy priesthood as the church. And here's some that we have. For example, the entire church then becomes a priesthood. We're all in this together. There isn't one of you who is a part of the church today who isn't a priest. I'm not going to call you father. I'm not going to give you a robe. I'm not going to have you be the one who celebrates communion. I'm not going to give you some special religious status so that you're higher than everybody else. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to you, you are a special, special appointed holy one before the Lord. Because as a priest before him, that's what you are, special and holy in his sight, and we are all in this together. The entire church then becomes a focal point for God's grace, in this case because of Jesus. Jesus expresses his grace to us, and we become recipients of that grace in the same way that the Old Testament priesthood was a priest only because of God's grace and not some special status that they had. So... In one sense, none of you are special. In another sense, every one of you is special. You're special because God, through his grace, appoints you to be his special priest before him. Thirdly, the entire church becomes a purified people before the Lord. And that's what we are in Jesus. Anybody here who doesn't feel pure enough to come before the Lord? Well, probably none of you do. I can go to each one of you and say, isn't there something in your life, James Mooney, that separates you from God? Isn't it true that you really aren't adequate to go before him and stand before the Lord completely purified? And James would say, yeah, that's me. I'm not that. And then I would say to him, actually, you are. Because that's what Jesus does for us. He purifies us and makes it so that we can actually come before the Lord in a purified state all because of Jesus. And so we, as royal priests before him, find ourselves actually purified. We are all now able to come before the Lord to meet with him. And before, we couldn't do that. In fact, in the Old Testament, that's, the, that's one of the, the most fearful things that could happen to a human being. Maybe yeah, the most fearful thing. We always hedge our words. But to come before the living God is something we couldn't ever do. And then in Jesus, we find ourselves constantly able to come before him and to be in his presence, to pray to him, to be one with him. And it's all because he's made us royal priests before him forgiveness then is now dispensed to each one of us with no need for a special conduit of God's grace other than Christ and so Jesus through his grace extends to us the opportunity to be forgiven holy before him and to be one of these special priests before him too well isn't it true though that there are some among us that are special well I would say no We are all responsible and capable of making decisions on behalf of all people, and we're served by elders or bishops who come from among us, not from a special tribe or privileged people. And so if there are rulers among us, they're special not because they're inherently special or because of some innate natural ability within them, but only because God has made them special, which means they're just like the rest of us and actually arise out of the rest of us. We also all bear responsibility for the Word and its preservation. And so you have as much responsibility to be reading Scripture, to know His Word, to be one with God through His Word, as everybody else does, and there's no special privilege, status, or person. Which means also that we all bear responsibility for interpreting and communicating the Word of God. So anyone who does this in a special way is just one of us, with no privileged status. And you know who I'm thinking of when I write that, don't you? Me. I'm thinking of me. I don't have any kind of special status. I have a responsibility. But it's a responsibility that in one sense, all of us bear. The responsibility of interpreting and communicating the word of God because God gives that responsibility to all of us priests together. And you have that responsibility right along with me. Well, we've been talking about the great responsibilities that we have as priests, the great privileges we have, and it's true. But we do have this saying, right? With great privilege comes great responsibility. And we recognize that. We can't be royal priests in this wonderful position of privilege and not have some responsibilities that are ours, and especially to live out holy lives before him. Now, let me tell you something. I, every uh, fall, I, for the last several years, I've been teaching a class at Ambrose, Ambrose University on Christian faith and Christian philosophy. And I kind of introduce a whole bunch of first year university students to Christian theology. For a lot of them, it's their very first uh, university class. And in that class, I talk to them very specifically about sin. And in fact, if I was to talk to you about sin today and say, what is the, the definition of sin? Some of you might know or have heard the idea that sin in the New Testament especially is defined as missing the mark. It's actually an archery term, like you miss the bullseye. That's what it means to sin. Well, all of us, every one of us is guilty of sin. None of us stands before God without that. But because of what Jesus has done, This whole notion of being purified and becoming before him based on that purity that Jesus offers becomes for us the first time a possibility. And without that, I don't know where we'd be. But one of the things I tell the students is that it seems to me that one of the real problems in our society today is our self esteem It seems like everybody I know has a relatively poor self-esteem. And unfortunately, especially the women. And that's because our society does a number on women. Our society makes women think that they are always substandard. And because people think of themselves in this way, they oftentimes act out. And it's my theory, this is what I tell the students, I think that one of the major reasons that people sin in our world today is because of their low self-esteem's. They don't know how to respond to how poorly they think of themselves, and they end up acting out in various ways because they think so poorly about themselves. Now, I don't know if that's the way it is with you. It's possible that you sin for reasons other than that. But it's a good possibility that one of the major reasons that you sin when you sin is because you don't think as highly of yourself as you should. And I think this concept that we've looked at this morning is crucial for us getting a handle on sin. Because when God thinks of you as being as special as you are, one of those who is raised up by him to be part of a holy priesthood that puts you in a place, I think, that allows you to make a decision when it comes to even acting out and responding to your own lack of self-esteem that overcomes all that? What if I don't think badly of myself? What if instead of thinking badly of myself, I'm convinced that God has made me holy? What if I think that God has absolutely purified me? What if I think that God has said to me, You are one of my special ones whom I love who can come into my presence and worship me and be one with me to know me and relate with me. What if God said that to me? What if it was his specific effort by the work of his son to call me into his presence and allow me to be in special relationship with him as a holy priest before him? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, all my life can become an offering to him. And that's what God wants. God wants you as a holy priest before him, made that way by Jesus, to be a holy and fragrant offering to him, to give your life to him absolutely and completely. And there's just no reason why you can't do that, that if he's made you this special holy one before him. And that's what he's done. And so if any one of you thinks today, you know what? I'm not that good, Kelly. I've got some sins in my life that I can't get rid of. I can't shake them. Well, join the club. Because you're just like the rest of us. And the only way that any of us can have any status or position before him or ever come before the Lord is because we are his special priests before him. Made that way by Jesus. Last thing I want to say is simply this. We're priests bringing into our world the effects of the presence of the king. If we are his priests, then like the priests who interceded between God and the people, there's a sense in which we intercede between God and the world. The world needs us. The world needs us to take to it the message about Jesus that they can enjoy the same status before God that we do. And the fact is, unless we carry out this kind of priestly role of taking to them the good news of Jesus and what it is that he's done, they're never going to hear about the status that they have before God. And so I encourage you as priests to get about the priestly task of communicating to the world who God is. Because as those with this special status before him, we have a chance to tell the world about their own high priesthood. And Jesus died that they might know who they are as priests before him. We need to carry out that role. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of being priests before you. You have made us holy ones, purified ones, set apart for you and your service. But God, is not on our own. We couldn't begin to be what you've made us. It comes through Jesus, and we're so thankful for that, and pray that you would make us to be who we are. Help us to live out lives as these special privileged ones before you live a life of a holy priesthood as that's what you've made us. We pray through Jesus. Amen.